I know I promised you last week that we were going to do Casey Anthony. However, I'm backpedaling again because I have, for anybody who's listening, hi, welcome to Creep Time with Silas Dean and Stu. Hi, everybody. But for anyone who is listening and who's been watching um, some of the Creep Time stuff this past week, they'll know that I've been on one about room 1046. Do you know that story? Wait, did they make a movie about this with like John Cusack? Okay, I don't... I. I know there is a movie like that. I don't know if it's about this story, though. Um, I think it's called, is that room like 1048 or something? All I remember, I don't remember anything about the plot, but I know that the numbers add up to 13. (laughs) And it's like the hidden, it's like that hidden 13th floor or something, because you know, like a lot of hotels don't have a 13th floor. That's true. They don't. Um, I don't think this is that story, but room 1046, I was obsessed with because I get a universal reaction when I tell this story to people. It doesn't matter if you're interested in true crime. It doesn't matter if you like scary stories. I have told this story on repeat to a lot of people, and I always get the same response, that something's like very, very wrong with this story and what went down, and it's bone-chilling. It's just a bone-chilling tale, Um, and it's true. All of it happened. But I wanted to do it because like, I got on one where – I'm coming up on my year anniversary for TikTok, and this was the first story I ever told on TikTok. Oh my god! This is the story that broke oh. it all. Like, <laughs> oh wow! I'm yeah. excited now. I remember when I put the video out, I got 10,000 views on the first video, and I I was like, oh, I f- made it. It's over, bitches. <laughs> I was like, 10,000. Like it was like maybe 15 comments, and I was like, take my number out of your phones, take literally, it out. Literally. Like, <laughs> Was your was your first like really really viral video the painted like mannequin video? Um, no, actually, before that that is by far my most successful video. La Pascualita is what you're talking about. Yes, However, La Pascualita. My, my first viral video, I think, was the Uncanny Valley. Yeah. Okay. I did the Uncanny Valley, and that one got like I think that got like news coverage. That was when I was like, now it's really over. I was like, y'all can't t- y'all can't touch me, honey. <laughs> this is the cold brew this is what's happening <laughs> but I, but somehow i i made it through the i made it into the inner circle oh you've been in the inner circle you've you've been here the whole time just waiting waiting and that's for that on that then that's that on that but ten forty six. yeah i've been stuck on it this week and i covered it again on tiktok i did a live reading of the story <laughs> And I covered it on YouTube. I'm going to do another YouTube video on it. So I was like, this is perfect. I have to tell this story to Stu um, on Friday. So I'm not even going to give you a top line of the story. I'm going to dive right into it for you. I'm assuming you haven't heard of it outside of what we thought it was, which was, I think, room 104 is what you're thinking of. Or wait, no, maybe it's room. Oh, maybe. Room 1408. No? 1408. Is that it? That sounds familiar. Uh why are there so yeah, many that's it, movies the number, about like the numbers add up to thirteen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do they? Oh yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> I, I we was can't like, do math. I was like, don't make me do math live on air. Come on. <laughs> I know. Someone asked me to do that on a call the other day. They were like, "Well, if we we're talking about like moving around budgets for like something unrelated," yeah. and they were like, "Well, we've got like seven fifty and two five hundreds, and we've got another like six thirty five over here. Where are we netting out?" And I'm like, "In hell." Like, like, I was like, what do you think I am? Like, what do you think? My boss, my boss at this point knows not to ask me any math related (laughs) questions. He's like, I'll do this in Excel and spit out the data to you. I'm like, okay, thank you. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, at least, I mean, don't ask, don't put me on the spot and ask me, like, live on a call. Especially with, like, clients yeah, on there. No. I was like, damn, baby, I, I can't deliver. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, today is a very special day. I think I'm hyped up because of this cold brew, but also Hocus Pocus 2 comes out tonight. Okay. What do I do? I don't have Disney+. Plus. Here's what you do. I'm going to tell you how you get it. You have to go to um, uh, Disney.com slash Disney Plus, and you have to s- put in a username and, like, a password, and you have to pull out a credit card. You have to type no. in the credit card, you have to pay. <laughs> no. And you, and you, you are <laughs> wretched. And you scroll over <laughs> to what says Hocus Pocus 2 premiering tonight, and you just press play. <laughs> I would love to see some... Uh, metrics on how many people download Disney Plus tonight and cancel it literally tomorrow morning. Oh, there's going to be a lot of free trials. that I'm going to ask um, Stephen. I, I was debating. I was like, should I say his name? Because Stephen works for Disney and Hulu. Mm-hmm. So um, he's like on the inside on Disney Plus. So he can give me some like details on how it performs. It's got to do well. Hocus Pocus 2. That's a, that's a big deal. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I have to adjust I, expectations. I wish we could watch it together. I know. Maybe we should reserve it. Maybe we'll hold off and we'll do like a live reaction to it and we'll record it on here or something. That would be if we had like live commentary for our first time reaction to Hocus Pocus (laughs) 2. If we were drinking, we'd be beside ourselves. Oh my God. Well, let's be real. You know that we'll both watch it like 45 times if it's good. Yeah. I'm very nervous because I don't want to hold it to the same expectations of the first because you'll never create that again. Because that's no. like not just the original movie. It's like years and years of inside jokes and like like campiness around it. Like it's it's like a, a manufactured nostalgia beyond like how yeah. great the first film is. So I can't come into this with that expectation. But I want it to do Totally. Well. I do and too. And with that, go watch Hocus Pocus 2 on Disney Plus premiering tonight. This is not sponsored, so <laughs> go do it. <laughs> I wish they would. I wish they would sponsor us. You're welcome, I, Bet. <laughs> Bet, Sarah Jessica. What's um what's Mary's name? Kathy. 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 <laughs> <Na Jimmy. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> bye bye life. Bye uh, bye life. We must find the book, <laughs> brew the potion, and suck the lives out of the children of the sun rise. <laughs> Otherwise it's wait, what is it? Otherwise it's what? Otherwise it's no curtains. It's curtains. Otherwise it's curtains. <laughs> curtains. Bye bye life. That's all I remember. <laughs> okay, okay. That right. and that and yeah, we gotta we gotta get it together. Okay. I know. I'm just being silly at this point. I apologize. I'm I'm really gonna spook you with this one, so I'm giving you a little bit of reprieve early. Okay. I'm prepared. Okay. Um all right. So this is the story of room ten forty six. It's actually a much older one. Um a while back you actually requested an older case. I think you said something from the twenties or thirties, so this is gonna be that case for you. So oh. On Wednesday of January 2nd, this is 1935, this is around 1.20 p.m. afternoon, a man calling himself Roland T. Owen checked into the hotel president in Kansas City in room 1046. Um, I didn't realize this, but I was listening to another podcast on this, and I, I didn't know, but in 1935, the hotel president was a very prestigious hotel in Kansas City. It mm. was, a uh, yeah, I, I mean, maybe the, I don't know, the name beckons that, but... Yeah, a lot of high-profile people, a lot of politicians stayed there while they were, like, on campaign trails. It was a very nice hotel to be in. So this man walks in, 
And, you know, witnesses say that he was aged somewhere between maybe like 20 to 35 and he had brown hair, short kind of crew cut, but he had this visible scar that was right above his ear. Um, and he also had a cauliflower ear. You ever seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's usually I think it's like um, boxers will have a cauliflower ear if they take like repeat hits. It's usually like indicative of physical violence or like some kind of like punch that I don't know, kind of scarred in that way. But he has this very distinct ear and he's very nicely dressed. He's in like a very sharp suit and looks very put together. But there's no other real like witness description of him outside of this um, initial interaction at the front desk. So the bellboy, whose name was Randolph Prost, I think that's how you say it, he helped Owen to his room. But this is when he noticed something strange. So this guy, Owen, um, I, I know his name is Roland T. Owen, but everyone refers to him as Owen. Um, he's walking into his room, the bellboy, and he notices he doesn't have any luggage. He He's just walking in with... Um, like three items he has a comb he has a hairbrush and he has toothpaste and he has nothing else just the clothes on his back weird right Mm -hmm. so he gets into the room and then the next person who comes into the story is the maid her name was mary softick so she said that owen allowed her to clean the room um after he had just gotten in but he remained in the room during that he he was fine with it um And he reportedly just kind of sat on the bed and didn't do anything. He didn't read. He didn't, like, listen to the radio. There was nothing he did. He just sat there on the bed. He kept the shades drawn. And he had one dim lamp on. And she just stayed in the room, just kind of cleaning around him, uh, which she knew was odd. So then she leaves. And this whole thing about, like, the, the darkness and keeping this room dark is what was kind of corroborated by other witnesses who would go into this room at different points. But then she ends up coming back that same day to drop off fresh towels um, sometime around four. So he had asked her initially when she first left the room after cleaning. He was like, can you leave the door unlocked? He was like, because I have a friend who's coming very soon. But nobody ever saw anybody else go into that room or come into the hotel and make their way to that room. Not the elevator man, anybody. But she comes back and I believe the door is locked. So she assumes that he's gone because I think she knocked or she called out and no one had answered. So she goes into the room ready to drop off some towels and the room is pitch black. So she's like, Oh, he's definitely gone. As she walks into the main part of the room, she gets this odd feeling, you know, like when you can sense someone's presence around you and Mm -hmm. she turns her head over towards the bed. The room is pitch black. Like she hasn't even hit the lights yet. And he's sitting there on the bed, fully dressed, doing nothing. He's just staring like almost like he's in a trance, like he's like he's catatonic or something. And it is pitch black in that room. She can just make out like his silhouette. So she's kind of freaked. She just drops off the towels and kind of apologizes and excuses herself. And then I believe she comes back later that night um, for some reason, either to, to do some kind of room check or, or whatever. I don't know. The procedure was in 1935 at the hotel president. And he is gone this time. But there's a note that she finds that reads, Don... I will be back in 15 minutes. Please wait. This is the first indication that we hear about a character named Don in the story. Because up until this point, we we heard him mention there's a friend who's coming. But no one saw anybody go in or out of that room at any point. No one saw the Don character or this man. We just have this note indicating that Don was not only, you know, hadn't intended to come, but had been in that room. Don, please wait. Or was coming to the room. 
she would later say in a statement to Belize uh, that she believed Owen was either worried about something or was deeply, deeply afraid, but she didn't understand why. So she is kind of the observational eye in this story, sort of watching Owen through, throughout the next couple of days, and she gives the most context as to just how strange this damn story is. Um, so the next day, this is now January 3rd, so this maid, Mary Soptic, she comes back to clean the room, and she's there at around 10.30 a.m., and she notices that the door has been locked from the outside. So again, she assumes that Owen locked it as he was leaving the room. So she enters the room. However, Owen is there, and he's just sitting on the bed. Lights off. And he made no mention as she was entering the room. He just sat there, almost like he was expecting someone to come back and just greet him in the dark. It's like, does this not give you chills? What in it's, the world? It's so freaky. She just keeps coming back in, and this guy is sitting in this like catatonic state, just not saying anything, and just wearing the same clothes day in and day out. He had no, he had nothing else with him. Yeah, he. That's the that's the other weird part. Like toothpaste, a comb, and a hairbrush, and he's just checked in, and checked into this expensive hotel, which he paid for somehow. We're assuming he paid for it, and. Yeah, just waiting for someone whom no one ever sees. So she's in the room. She's freaked out again because he's sitting in there in the dark. <laughs> and while she was in the room, the phone goes off and he answers it. And he says, no, Don, I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry. I just had breakfast. And then he, he starts repeating, no, I'm not hungry. No, I'm not hungry. He just goes on and on. And she's, she's listening in because she's like, who is this Don character? Like... She, she remembers the note. She remembers Owen asking, like, leave the door unlocked because I have a friend who's coming. And now she at least has confirmation that Don most likely exists because somebody called that phone. You know, the phone rang. And, mm -hmm. or, unless th there are some theories about this that maybe he was speaking in code or like maybe Don is code for somebody. But nevertheless, he gets a call and there's someone else involved who knows this man who's just sitting in the dark day in and day out. So he repeats, I'm not hungry. I am not hungry. So she leaves. She then comes, she comes back to deliver fresh towels again at 4 p.m. that day. And this is the first time where she has like audible confirmation that there is another person involved here. So she heard two male voices coming from inside the room. So when she knocked, she heard a voice say, who is it? In this like very low kind of rough voice, clearly like not the voice of Owen. And she just sort of explains to the door, like, I have fresh towels. And she hears the voice again say, we don't need any. Even though she was completely sure that they were 100% out of fresh towels, like she had taken the towels. But they're insistent yeah. they don't need any towels. So during the night, there's a woman on the same night. I believe this is still January 3rd. She's staying in room 1048, just two over from 1046. And she starts to report to the front desk that she's hearing very loud voices, both male and female that are cursing on this floor. Um, although this is heavily debated because there was a party that was going on in room 1055 that night. So it's, it's kind of um, confusing whether or not those voices were coming maybe from the party or whether or not they were actually coming from 1046. But this woman in 1048 seemed to believe they were coming from 1046. And I think this is the same night that this happens, but this is the first indication where we see, we have a witness who says they saw somebody try to go into the room. Because no one sees Owen leave, ever. He just remains in there, not eating, not doing anything. 
but there's a woman who is politely referred to in the story as a commercial woman. Um, she was most <laughs> likely a sex worker. <laughs> she mm-hmm. came into the hotel, which may not have been like very out of place for this hotel at the time. I'm really not sure. But she comes up uh, with the elevator man, who I think is the witness here, the key witness. And apparently she went to room 1046 and was trying to get inside. But then she left the room and went somewhere else in the hotel. So a lot of people have assumed, well, maybe it was just a mistake and she meant to go to a different room or was looking for the party or we're not really sure what. But the the theory and the, the witness account of the commercial woman is an interesting one, specifically because this woman who reported to um, the front desk about these voices and the swearing coming from 1046 talked about a woman's voice. And coincidentally, the woman who reported this in 1048, her last name is also Owen. No relation, but, like, (laughs) just odd. Like, a weird kink in the story. So that night passes, right? So the next morning, this is January 4th, this is 7 a.m., the hotel phone operator notices that the phone in Owen's room is off the hook, and it hasn't been in use for, like, a very long time, like, hours. So she ends up sending the original bellboy who checked Owen into his room up to 1046, and she's like, you have to go you know, get him to hang that phone up. It's just. <gasps> Did you hear that? Sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> you were like, you have to hang that phone up. And it was like, and I was like, can I just tell you the number two that rang said unknown number. I'm not kidding. Holy Let me take a break. Take a sip of my cold brew. I'm shaking. Oh my it was Bette Midler calling. <laughs> that was a little freaky, actually. If I take a step back, I said, you that have to hang that freaky. phone up. Phone rings with an unknown number. It literally said unknown number. I'm going to have to check that out in a minute. What? <laughs> that was so weird. Right. Okay, we joke about spirit, but that was spirit. Okay. Ooh, I mean, I've been talking about this story enough. I might have conjured something. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, let's take a breath. So... Like I said, January 4th, this is 7 a.m., and the hotel phone operator, she's like, that phone is off the hook. I got to send a bellboy up to hang it up. So he goes up to the room. He's at 1046, and he notices a do not disturb sign that's on the door that they hadn't noticed before. So he ends up knocking a few times, and he hears a low voice say, come in, turn on the lights. But the door is locked. So And he keeps knocking, and no one's getting up to open the door to let him in. So he kind of gets frustrated, and he's a bellboy. So he was like, you know what? Can you please just hang up the phone back on the hook? And then goes back downstairs. He just assumed that Owen was probably drunk or was, you know, just wasn't, like, I don't know, with it. And that's why he wasn't getting up to open the door. But he leaves. So then around 8.30 a.m., this is about an hour and a half later, the hotel phone operator, she checks. The phone is still off the hook. Nobody ever hung it up. So... She sends another bellboy. His name is Harold Pike. And he goes up and he actually lets himself into the room with his pass key because he knows that this is a problem that hasn't been resolved. So he goes into the room again. The room is completely pitch black. So he starts walking in and he has that same experience as the maid where he walks in and he feels that presence of like this man. And he just kind of turns over to like his right and he sees Owen sitting on the bed nude this time, completely (gasps) naked. And he said it was too dark to make out what he was seeing, but kind of near the sheets, it looked like the sheets were stained with something, like there's like dark stains around him. But he also, beyond being freaked out and startled by him, he notices that not only is the phone off the hook, but the whole phone stand is kicked over. 
So he goes over and he props it up and he hangs the phone up back on the hook and just kind of excuses himself and, you know, apologizes, says he's sorry, but also assumes that Owen was drunk as well because he's so out of it. Because the natural response, Mm -hmm. especially if you're sitting in a room alone, nude, and a stranger comes in, is not to just sit in silence. It's freaky. Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's really freaky. So he leaves this bellboy and he goes back downstairs. Now, approximately 10.30 to 10.45 a.m., hotel operator notices again the phone is off the hook. It's not on the receiver. So she sends up the original bellboy back upstairs to, like, resolve the situation again. So he goes up, and he decides to let himself in um, with his passkey as well. When he opened the door, he stumbled upon something like you could not imagine in that room. So he gets the door open, and in his statement to police, he says, When I entered the room, this man was within two feet of the door on his knees and his elbows, holding his head in his hands, and it was covered in blood. Just blood pouring out of his head. He goes, I then turned on the light, and I looked around, and I saw blood on the walls. I saw blood on the bed, in the bathroom, and on the ceiling. He said, it frightened me, and I immediately left the room and ran downstairs. Really try to imagine, like, how overwhelming that must have been for someone, for this kid to walk into. Like, blood on the ceiling? Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, so freaky. So, Owen was discovered with these, like, extensive injuries, because they immediately call the police, and everybody goes up to the room, and he had been tied up with a cord that was around his neck his wrists and his ankles. And it was very apparent that he had been tortured. I mean, the blood was so bad, like it had kind of spread out, like splattered from the bed Mm -hmm. up the walls behind the bed. And it was over the ceiling of the bed. That's how bad he was beaten. Like repetitive hits. So the doctor gets in closer and he looks a little closer to see his injuries. And he notices the skull is severely fractured. He had been stabbed in the chest several times and he had a punctured lung And he also had this, he had like early um, bruising around his neck, which they believed was due to like some very violent strangling. But remarkably, he's still alive at this point. So one of the detectives kind of moves in um, on the scene and he was like, this might be the only opportunity to, you know, get a sense of who did this to him. So he goes and he goes, who was in this room? Who did this? And Owen's response is, nobody. And they're all, like, taken aback because it's very clear that he was, obviously, he didn't tie himself up. He didn't stab himself in the chest. And he then repeats, he goes, nobody. He goes, I fell and hit the bathtub. And then he falls out of consciousness. So this was just a very brief exchange, but this was really all that Roland T. Owen would give us um, before he's taken over to the hospital. And doctors examine him, and they realize that these injuries were not super recent. They had probably happened almost six to seven hours before he was discovered at 10.30. So this was like four in the morning that somebody did this to him. This would have been, all of this happened to him and he was sitting in that room nude and with all of these injuries when that bellboy like let himself in the first time to hang up the, to like put the phone back on the hook and prop the whole thing back up. What the stains that he saw on the bed were just like all this blood that was pouring out of him. So... Owen is kept in the hospital, um, but would later die that night from his injuries, actually after midnight, taking his secrets with him. 
So the detectives go back to the room. They find no weapons, um, nor any of Owen's original belongings in that room. The comb, the brush, and the toothpaste are gone, as well as toiletries from the hotel bathroom are also gone. Um, But they feel that this has kind of definitively ruled out that Owen tried to take his own life. But what they do find in their initial investigation are four fingerprints that were on the phone stand, which they believe belong to a woman. So they're trying to make sense of that, too, because, again, I mean, the only knowledge that we have of a woman even attempting to get into that room was this commercial woman, but also no one. And I mean, not the hotel elevator person. Nobody saw anyone go in or out of this room at any point. So the investigation outside of these fingerprints just kind of falls away because they have nothing else to go on. But they try to source back and they try to, you know, immediately jump in and figure out what they can learn from the hotel staff. But before I get into their statements, I should ask you, how do you feel about that story so far? Oh, my gosh. Well, my first thought was, like, was this some weird, like, freaky kink thing that went too far? And then it feels inherently sexual. It feels it does. It feels very sexual and, like, masochistic, like, sadist, like, just kind of freaky. And then, like, he took it, like, further on his own, almost, is what I was kind of thinking. Like, he initiated some of it, you mean? Like, as far as, like, caused some of his own injuries? Yeah, like, like self-harmed afterwards, maybe maybe feeling, like, disgusting about what he had done or asked to be done to him. And he just, like took it to another level, like hating himself for doing it. It definitely, I mean, well, I think you're dead on the money because it's like, it definitely feels a lot of it was intentional or at least consensual and that Owen was asking for some kind of, maybe, I mean, maybe that's going too far to assume that he was, he was looking for any of this because obviously I don't want to like shift what happened to a victim into like he was asking for it. That's not what I mean, Mm -hmm. but I'm saying the idea of this being kink related or inherently sexual, I think ties in with, one, him checking in to that hotel himself. Also him being found nude. Um, a lot of it. But also this like odd Don character, like the potential commercial woman who was walking in. Like, yeah, a lot of it ties into some bizarre relationship or kink or like maybe even like a group kink that was going on that like mm-hmm. went way too far or went south, like went really bad. And then there was a yeah. violent outburst. There is... um. So I also heard this on the podcast I was listening to, and it's never been confirmed, and there's actually not a lot of research on this, but there is a a potential witness sighting that said that Owen did leave the room. So I think this was sometime on like January 2nd or 3rd, where there was a man who was parked outside of the hotel, and there was another man who came running out um, who was kind of like underdressed, and underdressed for that time would be like just wearing pants and like Mm-hmm. an undershirt um yeah like his, his arms were exposed which was pretty shocking for 1935 mm-hmm. in this area and he's like cupping his arm uh because it's bleeding like he's injured and he's like looking for a cab and 1935 i guess this guy was like oh i'll drive you to a cab station so he gets into his car and while he's driving him this guy is just kind of muttering to himself he was like i'm gonna i'm gonna kill him for what he did to me i'm gonna kill him this same man, this witness, would later go on once the pictures are released of Roland T. Owen and says, that's the guy. That's the guy who was in my my car that I took to the cab station because he was going to go to the doctor. But there's no other record of anybody seeing Owen leave the hotel, especially in that state. I would assume that if you saw a man who was walking out without sleeves that he's bleeding, 
your eyes would click to that. Yeah. But this is the only like witness testimony. And you know, you never know. I mean, people like sensationalize, people get confused. Um, there's a lot of guys who have like this look, this haircut, but yeah, I always thought that was strange. I feel like that, that would track for me. Like I kind of buy that. That sounds like something that would make sense. Yeah. Like, cause okay. If there is this Don character, and mm-hmm. oh god, I'm just trying well, to think. Like, is it possible he got to the hotel, checked in, was like gonna have some sort of sexual relationship with a sex worker, mm-hmm. and like for some reason had to go, had to leave for a bit, and like if he has this cauliflower ear, like he's clearly someone that's like involved in violent, like aggressions right normally right. so like maybe this could have been he got in an altercation had to go like deal with this guy and then comes back to the hotel and like calls the sex worker and then for whatever reason just like maybe, wants yeah. to have the crap beaten out of him even well, more like well now that i'm thinking about it i mean i guess he did leave the room at one point even though no one saw it because that may that maid mary Soptic goes in and she finds that note remember that on like day yeah. one or two, that's like Don. I'll be back in fifteen minutes. Please wait. So maybe. Yeah, I wonder if it's like Donna. Like, it could be a woman. It, it absolutely could. Well, a lot of people have theorized that Don is code for like someone else. It could be a Donna, but it could be. I mean, there's a lot of things who like Don could be. We'll get into some of the mm-hmm. theories on this, which I'm actually going to read cold. I'm not super brushed up on a lot of them. I have my own yeah. that I've kind of, I've drummed up just from hearing the case, but. Yeah, that's interesting. I do wonder if that was him, but that the man who drove him was insistent. He was like, "This is the guy." He got into my car. He was bleeding, and he just said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill him. I'm gonna kill him." And then he's found dead like two, three days later, horribly, horribly beaten. Like, unbelievable what happened to him in that room. And you can still go to this hotel today and stay in that room. I think. Do they have photographs at all of like the body and? Yeah, they do. The room. Oh, not no, gosh. not of not of um not of the room. I don't think. I mean, those have oh. never been released. If they took crime scene photos, but back in the '30s, um, a lot of the times, if they had like a John Doe or a Jane Doe to identify them, they would have to sort of kind of prep the body like you would for a funeral, and then they would have to photograph it to see if anybody could recognize him and like run it in the papers. Mm-hmm. So they do have pictures of him in that way, and they are post mortem photos for like identifying John Doe's are the most disturbing Ugh. things, like. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of the boy in the box. Like an unknown boy that was found. Yeah. Yes. Those photos are are really, really disturbing to look at. Yeah, absolutely disturbing. But I will dive back into the investigation real quick because they do uncover some other stuff that kind of complicates the case um, that a lot of people didn't see coming. So let's see. Where were we? So, right. So after the brief exchange, he falls unconscious. He dies that night in the hospital. And we have those four fingerprints that were found on the phone stand that most likely belonged to a woman. So when Owen had initially checked into the hotel, he mentioned that he was from Los Angeles to the front desk. He had just sort of uh, maybe stated that when they asked or like said it off the cuff. So police go to the Los Angeles authorities where they're unable to find any record of a Roland T. Owen. So this brings into question whether or not that was his real name. And we would find out later It was not. He was living under a false name. So his body is placed for viewing at the Melody McGilly Funeral Home. 
And as the story kind of spread um, in the newspapers, there are more and more people who start reaching out to the Kansas City authorities, as well as this funeral home, because they have missing loved ones as well. And there, there wasn't a formal network, really, of um, like searching for people who had gone missing or had potentially died like this. So people are just kind of calling, trying to identify Owen, like maybe that's my loved one, but it's to no avail. So next police, they go back and they sort of refocus on the mysterious Don character that Owen had referred to um, in the hotel several times, because we believe that Don was conceivably a man because of the deep voice that was heard by that maid through the hotel door. But nevertheless, they can't produce any results as to who Don might have been. There's no record of him. But whoever that Don character was, if we're assuming he did this to Owen, he took everything that Owen had, his belongings and what was in the hotel room before he ditched. So on Owen's upcoming burial, it was announced in the Journal Post, which I think was a paper or a magazine that was running at that time, um, like a local magazine. It was for March 3rd, and he was set to be put in a potter's field because they still hadn't identified him those all those months later. However, this is where things get strange. So the Melody McGilly Funeral Home, they receive an anonymous call from some person who said that they would be sending the money necessary to provide him with a proper funeral and they say some strange stuff on the phone that would give um like an inclination that they knew him personally they were like no he needs a proper funeral or or i i want to have him flown to a different area so he could be buried next to his sister like stuff that you would know intimately and the the funeral home is like all right well we've been getting a lot of calls from people who are trying to identify him this is a big case so they just think it's bullshit wild enough (laughs) on march 23rd Money that is bundled up in a newspaper enough to cover the funeral and more is delivered to the funeral home anonymously. As what? well as as well as funeral flowers that are sent and arranged anonymously. They actually came from the Rock Flower Company, but whoever paid for it, it's unknown. And they had a card in it that said, Love Forever, Louise. What? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Isn't that, that's like out of a movie. That's crazy. That is bad Where's that money coming from? My God. Who called in, oh my God, who's Louise? I don't know. The commercial woman, maybe? Whoever the woman's finger, the woman's fingerprints that were found on the phone stand. So did we ever confirm who he actually was? Yes. So that, I'm going to get into the next part of it now. Okay, 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 okay. That all happens, and that's wild. Nobody knows who that person was who called. Nobody knows who sent the money. Nobody knows who arranged the flowers and left the card. Skipping forward, this is about a year and a half later, because this was 35? This happened? Yeah, 19, like 35. Um, A friend of Ruby Ogletree, this woman who lives in a different part of the country, she found an American Weekly piece, um, which was an old magazine that chronicled the Roland T. Owen case, the story of Room 1046. So upon looking at the magazine... They ran the pictures of Owen's body, like Owen's um, body, as they were trying to identify him in the magazine. Ruby looks at the pictures, and she correctly identifies Owen as her son, Artemis. Shocked. Um, He left Birmingham in 1934 when he was 17 years old. His name is Artemis Ogletree. And she was shocked because for the last three months, or I guess... um, in that last year and a half, she had been receiving letters from her son as if he was still alive after he had died. 
someone's writing oh. her letters as Owen, as Artemis Ogletree. And oh. she, she knew something was off about that too because she, he, one of the letters, I, or several of the letters, I think, were typed. And as far as she knew, her son Artemis didn't know how to type. He, he didn't know how to do that. And the letters were also using bizarre language um, that, like, he, like, slang that he wouldn't know. You know, it seemed like very, I don't know, high society, like, it just didn't make sense. High society language didn't make sense for, like, what he would know, stuff that she understood. And one of the letters was talking about um, him trying to move out of the country. He was like, I have plans to leave the country. I'm, I'm letting you know. But I forgot where, oh, I forgot where he said he was going. But again, like so random, so unnecessary to like keep up this this ruse of like making the mother believe that her son was alive and well, and she finds out through a magazine that he's been dead for a year and a half. Shocking! Oh but she, my gosh! Yeah, she takes it back to police immediately, and she turns in all of the letters that I think she had been received. The last one she received might have been. It actually maybe it was within that three month window after he died because I think the last one was like late spring of nineteen thirty five. So. She notes all of the strange, like the oddities of these letters. Um, and after some time, you know, once they have a name, they're actually able to go back and they trace a little bit more about where Artemis Ogletree had kind of traveled. So there's not much that's known about him and what happened to him after he left um, Birmingham in 1934. But we, what we do know is that in Kansas City, before he stayed in room 1046 at the Hotel President, he stayed at the St. Regis, which is another very nice hotel. And he checked in with another man. An unknown man. Hmm. Possibly this Don character. We don't know. So that's everything that we know about the investigation up until like that point in the 30s. Way, 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 way later. Like in like the early 2000s. Um, Dr. John Horner, who is an author of... It's labeled here as an exhaustive account of the murder case published by the Kansas City Public Library. I don't think that's the title <laughs> of it. But he receives an out-of-state call from an unknown caller... Um, about Artemis Ogletree and the caller gets on the phone and claims I just found a box in an elderly person's care like in their belongings and it has all of these newspaper clippings on the Artemis Ogletree case on room 1046 and I started reading all of these clippings and I noticed in the box that one of the items that was missing from the room is in this box what and this guy is on the phone Dr. John Horner and he was like can you give me your name? Can you tell me where you are, who this person is? And for whatever reason, this person changes their mind and they hang up the phone. <gasps> it's to no avail. So whatever, whoever that elderly person was, they most likely died with those secrets as well. Or whoever this person was who had called on their behalf in the early 2000s. And that's everything we know about room 1046. What Do we know what the uh, item was that they specified they didn't specify it could have been the comb the brush could have been the toothpaste could have been i don't know hotel shampoos but like whatever it was it was mentioned as one of the missing items in the article which was most likely one of owen's personal belongings like a comb yeah well i was thinking anybody like this could be someone that's like obsessed with the case so they but if they're clippings from like actual newspapers in Old the 30s clippings. and 40s yeah like when the story was yeah when it was which like would running suggest in that they were around then yeah so i mean i guess it could have been somebody that was like obsessed like a true crime uh honest to god a creeper back a in creep- the, <laughs> <A 1930s laughs> the 30s creeper. and 40s a 1930s creeper um a societal leper but <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, it would have been so interesting for us to know what the item was. Because could you imagine if it was like hotel president toiletries from the 30s? Like that would have to be somebody that was like oh, the, I mean, close the to, to yeah. the case. The toiletries seem more conceivable to me of somebody who was, I don't know, obsessed with the case, who was able to go to the hotel around that time and get those things. Uh, what, yeah. what, is def- what is definitive to me is like if it was the comb, the brush, or his toothpaste – those are his personal belongings that he brought with him that were never oh, recovered right, from the that's room. Right. I was like, if those are in there, that is most definitely somebody who was with him at the exact moment he died. That is bone chilling to think about. That is bone chilling. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, the St. Regis component is also very interesting to me. Um, yeah, let's talk about that. So he checked in. Yeah. This was like days, if not maybe like a full week before he checked into the other hotel. And he checks in with this unknown man. But again, nobody at the St. Regis could give any... Everyone's worthless. Nobody could give any descriptions on the, the <laughs> unknown man when they saw him. Like, I mean, it. again, I'm feeling this like inherently sexual something is going on. Because like, mm-hmm. why are you checking into hotels after hotels with like no belongings? Um, yeah. But I'm almost wondering if this was like a like a pimp situation like like they were both pimps or or no like maybe he had hired this guy's like sex workers like he was and maybe this guy was like if you have a Mm. relationship with someone like i'm gonna kill you like i I don't know i'm going i'm just trying to grasp at like any straws right now as to like what i I think you're on the right track though there is an, there's an intimate quality to this, and I do think that there's something with Don that feels inherently gay, actually, that this was a gay yeah, relationship. Yeah, I, I agree. Or, or maybe a bisexual relationship where, like, they're, they're together as partners, this Don character and this this Roland T.O., and maybe that's why he left when he was 17, left Birmingham. That's um, exactly what I was thinking, because it makes sense as to why he would be so badly uh, uh, bruised and, I mean, ultimately killed, but all of his stabbings and all, like, like, there was such shame around it at that time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, maybe he was like in love with this guy and it went south and he, you know, beat himself up afterwards because he just hated himself. I don't know. It's so dark. I mean, no, I mean, he, he seemed to be thinking, I mean, it was very clear that Don was the one in power at all times. Owen is kind of mm-hmm. like, I guess the gentleman in waiting who was constantly waiting on Don's arrival, waiting on Don to come back, waiting on his every word whoever this Don character is. And Don seems like the aggressor. So my assumption is that if this is a private gay relationship and they're, they're both kind of, you know, hopping around the country, they fled town and they're keeping this relationship like secret and living out of hotels. Maybe, I don't know, occasionally calling a commercial woman to, to join the fun. I'm yeah, that's what I was thinking too. But then something goes South where Owen says something that upsets him. There's that deep pitted inherent shame. And then, he says, I'm going to talk or I'm going to tell somebody or I want I want to tell somebody. I don't want to live my life mm-hmm. in secret. And this Don character goes crazy. And he goes, mm-hmm. you're you are never going to tell my secret because I'm going to make sure you don't hear my secret or no one hears my secret and kills him. Yeah. In the most yeah. brutal way. I could totally see that. That was my thinking. And like maybe there is this inherent undertone of like, um, is it masochism where like you hurt another person or is that where you hurt yourself? Masochist. So, I think masochistic is yourself. Yeah, sadist is like you. If you're a sadist, you want someone to put pain on you, like 
put you in pain. Okay, so and masochism or is, is it opposite? No, 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 you're right. Okay. You're right. Masochism okay. is yourself. So it's a person who derives sexual gratification from their own pain or humiliation. Humiliation is a really important part of the story, I think. Yes, yes. Because a lot of this is, it, it, it's like he's living as like, like a simp. You know what I mean? Like he's like coming in, no belongings. Like it's like he is walking around with like a collar in a way to this Don character, even when he's not around. Yeah. Yeah, like it feels desperate almost. Like, and I almost imagine this because how old is um, Artemis? Roland, T- Roland Tion. Yeah, I'm still going to yeah. refer to him as Roland Tion since that's how the story Roland. refers to him. Yeah. But I, he was 17, 18 at the time. He's a young kid. Yeah, so imagine he's probably like going through this because a 17 year old is not going to be able to pay to check into the St. Regis. Like, not at all. I'm no. sure <laughs> there's some older gentleman that's checking him in. It's like sugar daddy sort of who has um, a lot more to lose too probably in society right, right. yeah we're cracking oh my god case. did we just crack the case i, I was like <laughs> we're, we're, <laughs> i was like we're, we're building motive here well i should actually so let me get into some of the theories i can read some of them cold because i haven't briefed myself on these so this will be fun so let's see what we got also you hear those authorities in the back coming for you you hear the police I, coming me? for you that's you Oh my gosh. Oh my god, it's so the weather is so creepy right now. Is it overcast? It, no, it's raining cuz we're about to get all the like hurricane uh aftermath. Right, that's right. Yeah. Oh god. If anyone's listening in Florida, we we hope that you're safe. We wish you really yes. well right now. Please, we hope you've evacuated and you're staying safe. That is so so devastating. Yep. Well, if we can take your mind off that for just a little bit, I'll dive into something even more horrible. The theories behind <laughs> room 1046. Um, let's see. So the first theory that's listed here, the man referred to as Don, um, beat Artemis Ogletree to death in room 1046 and acted alone. That is the most obvious theory, of course, because we know this did not happen to Artemis on his own. This was not his own doing. So as mentioned before, it came to light shortly after his death that Ogletree had stayed in a different Kansas city hotel with another man, possibly this Don character. Don was also conceivably the man who was heard by the maid with the low voice to the door but even if this theory was true, police have never been able to crack who Don actually was, and there was no additional evidence that was left in this room to support that he had ever even been in there. So I guess that just ties into the theory that we had already built out, that like Don is this elusive older man who has a decent standing in society that he's afraid is going to get ruined if it comes out that he's sleeping with this like 17-year-old boy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it goes south real fast, and... I mean, I, I can definitely see a, a very toxic and horrible version of that relationship where maybe this Don character has so much shame around his own sexuality that he is kind of the relationship he's established with Roland T. Owen is that he beats him and he takes out this aggression on him uh, because he he's kind of like a younger version that personifies everything that he hates about himself. Absolutely. And imagine uh, Roland probably feels the same way about himself. This was not a time where you ever disclosed your sexuality homosexuality and and also we see that trope in like film and literature a lot where like the older uh gentleman like goes apeshit on the younger one because it's like yeah. this projection of anger basically it's judas kiss like it's yeah this yeah. Is, yeah exactly isn't there a theory that like there's only 12 stories out there that's like some Greek theory that I, I'm pretty sure that comes from Greek mythology. There are only 12 narratives and they just keep getting spun into new settings, time periods, and with different characters. But there are 12 stories that exist. And I think that's that one of That would make them. sense. Like, yeah. <laughs> so 
that's the theory that we've got talking about Don, but I want to get into some of the other stuff that suggests that Don didn't act alone. Because again, we've got those female fingerprints and we have some other voices that were heard in that room, supposedly. So this theory relates to an observation by Charles Blotcher, the elevator operator on the night of the murder. Okay, this is what we talked about. So his observation also perhaps sheds light uh, onto who Don could be. So the night of the murder... Um, did this happen the night of the murder? Well, I guess he was found in the morning. So we believe a lot of this happened at like 4 a.m. So I guess this was late in the night before. So Blotcher, the hotel uh, elevator operator, he saw a commercial woman going to the 10th floor. The elevator operator estimated that the woman was around 135 pounds and about five and a half feet tall. She had dark hair and was wearing a coat of black Hudson seal or imitation Hudson seal. I guess that must have been a very expensive coat at the time. Mm-hmm. She's a high-end commercial woman. I'm going to start referring to myself as a commercial woman. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is going to... Uh, to be... Because I've... Certainly, I'm uh, like a short lady, and I've been 135 pounds. Mm-hmm. That's not... Like, for back then, um, that that was like not standard. Like, I think a lot of women that were mm-hmm. that height would have been really, really teeny tiny. So really? we got we got a curvy gal, you know, like she's got some that she's actually know. got like a great figure, I'm sure, whoever this is. So our voluptuous commercial woman. Just wanted to point that out there. And I was like, thank you for the added color in the description. But yeah, our <laughs> voluptuous commercial woman in her, her black seal coat gets to the elevator. <laughs> So Blotcher, this guy, he claimed that this woman was looking for room 1026. Okay, that's what it was. Looking for 1026 to meet a man that she was unable to find, but it's possible that this woman was looking for Ogletree and was mistaking room 1046, or sorry, room 1026 for 46. So this commercial woman um, was also seen with a man from the ninth floor, a man that the elevator operator said was around the same height and weight as the woman, and some speculate that this man could have been Don. Hmm. now if you recall like we said there were fingerprints that were potentially female that were found on the phone stand and a woman who was staying next to room uh 1046 she was in 1048 she reported hearing the voices that were cursing so it's not unreasonable to suspect that this commercial woman and this man who were seen on the ninth floor together had been responsible for what happened to artemis ogletree on that night they were seen um however there has nothing there was nothing that was ever found um about this woman further in the case. Nothing that's on the internet. But if so, can we talk about that and figure out why... What is the motive there? Is she just like a bystander, like a like a witness to like something horrible that went down in that room? Or like a threesome situation? Like Yeah, but I'm saying like threesome situation, but then this Don character blows up because this, of this inherent like abusive nature he has towards um, Artemis. And kills him right then and there in the room and this poor woman just bears witness to it because she was just you know called in for you know an escorting job and now she's she's she bears witness to this horrible act and she has to leave with this guy because i'm sure if he's controlling enough over artemis he is certainly controlling over a a woman who's vulnerable and who's in that position and as far as i know historically especially commercial women at this time they did not have police protection like yeah if you were brought, if you went to the police about something like this, you were not going to be believed. That's um, that's the story of Frozen Ground, which is another case we have to cover. Holy, <laughs> like um, 
she was a sex worker who like escaped from like a horrible, a horrible incident where she almost died in a car, but she was so smart. She left her shoe, her heel in the car to plant it as evidence before she sprinted away, goes to the police. And of course the police in, um, where was this? Alaska. They didn't believe her. They were like, well, you're, you're a sex worker. Like we don't buy whatever you're saying about this guy. He's an established man in the community, owns a bakery. And then she was like, go back. My shoe's in the car. You're going to find this, this, and this. I can tell you where all the evidence is. Sure enough, that's what breaks the case. Because she thought ahead while being pursued to death in that car, like on the verge of being killed, left her shoe in the car. It's an incredible story. There's a movie about it. (laughs) Wow. And on the heel, she had written, F.U. County Police. Carved it with like one fingernail. <laughs> she said, F- off county. <laughs> God, that's so funny. It's an amazing story. She's the hero of that story yeah. because she broke wow. that case and she she's probably saved a lot of other women, honestly, from what she did. Because this man, he did not, this was not a one time thing for him. Oh God, I'm really forgetting his name, but he is I covered it on TikTok for True Crime by State, and I marked it as the worst case that I've ever heard from Alaska. But back to Ogletree. So how do you feel about that theory, I should ask, about the woman bearing witness to this? Or do you think she was more involved? Do you think that she conspired to kill him too? Well, see, I was thinking that the guy, if he was smart, would have asked her to leave the room. He would have been like, all right, we're done with you. Get out. Maybe he maybe he just blew up and maybe, maybe he planned to kill her too. He was like, well, if, I, if I've gone this far, I'm going to kill her as well. He was like, nobody's going to miss a commercial woman. Right. You know what's so wild to me is that wouldn't you hear like someone getting pummeled? Like if you're nearby, like I would Mm -hmm. think you would hear someone getting, and I mean pummeled, like getting beaten up. I don't mean pummeled. I I just. (laughs) I'm tracking. I'm tracking. (laughs) (laughs) Like I just, (laughs) I mean, you would hear that too. But like in this case, I just feel like if someone was getting thrown around and like beaten to death that you would hear it like or that they'd be like like oh my gosh like but i guess okay this is weird it probably sounds kind of like similar to sex sex yeah and so if there was anybody around they were probably like yeah they were probably like okay that is really freaky but i'm not gonna report anything you know what i mean well the thing is people did report stuff because if you remember i think this was the same night that that woman in 1048 reported hearing not like things like pummeling or you know beatings she heard a man and a woman arguing and swearing very loudly enough to the point where she was like something's going on in that room they're fighting like yeah please ask them to quiet down this is very late into the night which would have probably aligned with around the time when Owen sustained his injuries, because I think if that first like hit from Don, maybe to Roland T. Owen, maybe Owen is like so used to it. He doesn't make a noise. He knows that's a part of the dark, like twisted relationship they have that like hits me. I stay quiet. I take it. And then it goes far enough to the point before he even realized that he was like, he's trying to kill me because he strangled him. He tied a cord around his neck and his wrists or his ankles, which could have, could have been a part of whatever was going on in that room sexually. Yeah. And then the hit to the head that was so bad. There's blood on the ceiling. That is the craziest part that I can't get out of my head. Like, I know. Beating someone's head so bad that there's blood on the ceiling. That's so disturbing to me. Yeah. And you almost wonder if, like, 
the woman the reason why they were arguing was she was like what are you doing stop like chill mm-hmm. out stop and i almost wonder if like he was like take the phone off the hook like i don't want anybody to yeah you're like you you're know. not it kicks over the phone stand yeah. like she goes yeah. to reach for the phone to try to we are cracking yes. this case. She goes to reach for the phone to call nine one one. He kicks yes. the phone stand over. That's where her fingerprints come from. We have to write a script. Yes. We oh have my to god. Write a narrative on this. That's how. That's yeah. What, <laughs> yes. That would make sense. So then, let's fast forward to the actual funeral. So is Don the one who feels this immense guilt because maybe he had these these dark feelings towards Owen, but also loved him? He pays for the funeral and sends the flowers, but has to keep it under an alias. So he uses Louise. Done. <laughs> Cracked. <laughs> I was like, and thank you for listening to Creep Time. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. <laughs> That's a really compelling theory, though. That, yeah. Like, this is yeah. probably the closest we've come to, like, figuring something out. I mean, a lot of that tracks I for mean, me. And then, I'm, I don't know. Now I'm trying to tie in the person at the... Um, who came forward with the findings in 2000, like with the box with the clippings? Oh, still could have been. I mean, still could have been Don. I mean, Don might have had like <sighs> Don would have been the last person in that room, if not the commercial woman, to take some of the belongings because someone definitely cleared that hotel room out, whether it was for like fingerprint purposes or what. Because I don't think they definitely didn't have like DNA evidence back then, so they couldn't do like hair samples or anything like that. But they sure as hell could do fingerprints. So he knew anything I touched in that room. Oh. The other part I forgot, there was a um, there was a bottle of like very very astringent cleaner that was found in the room, mm. that was most likely used to wipe fingerprints. I'm assuming, um, that was reported too. That's interesting. It was some kind of an acid, but it wasn't an acid that's used to like burn somebody. It was used as like mm-hmm. a cleaner back then. Yeah, this yeah that makes sense. And then he just takes all of the other like tiny items because he's like, I'm not going to bother cleaning it. I'm just going to take them with me. Wait, so where was this person that called that found the the box of clippings and the item? Where were they? We never we don't know where yeah. they were. They they we called have... from an out of state number to this man who had like chronicled the case locally in Kansas City. They, an unknown person called and from out of state. They know it was an out of state number. They just don't know where. And they said, "I found I know an elderly person, distanced themselves, so maybe not a direct relative, maybe like a caretaker or something." And I have found a box of theirs that contains a lot of information about this case, like clippings. And there's an item in this box from the case. And then they changed their mind about, like, outing this person, I suppose. Could have very well have been Don in, like, his later years. Although, yeah, yeah. I uh, well, actually, how does that work timing-wise? Maybe that doesn't add up. Well, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he would have been long dead. Um, I was with That's you true. there for a second, thinking it, he would <laughs> I was the with same myself, age. yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it could have been though. Like, think about it. It could have been, um, he had given belongings to somebody, and like, or someone had moved into his home and oh, found true. the, you yeah, know, like a family. Yeah, Don member. wasn't necessarily alive at that point. He just said, "I have found, I have the belongings of an elderly person that had all of this stuff in it." So Don could have been dead, like theoretically, back in like the '90s or '80s or something. But, like, a lot of his stuff was just kind of kept in storage with the family or, like, kept in an attic for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then someone finally, some kid finally goes up to investigate, like, what's in Grandpa's, like, attic and finds this box and then loses their mind. Yeah. That's the, that is the most. Because also, I bet you anything, this man was married. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, double life for sure. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. on, a, on a business trip. I'm going to Kansas City for a business trip. Yeah. To sleep and kill a 17-year-old. Exactly. It's a Wednesday. <laughs> Wednesday. <laughs> but it makes you it makes you wonder also how long Roland had been in Kansas City. Had he met yeah. this man like out one night or something? Like it's just weird. I wish I knew why he was there. Yeah, how they met is also interesting. I mean, I know a lot about, um, just from gay history, I know a lot about, like, code, and, and I know a lot about the hanky code and, like, things that were used as sort of silent signals, especially in a, a part of the country like Kansas City, um, to try for gay men to meet other gay men without sort of taking the risk of going up and verbalizing something and then right. potentially winding up dead. But hanky code was sort of like a silent underground code that was used to signal, but I don't know if that was around in the 30s. Um, that might've come a bit later. That feels more like forties, fifties to me, but I'm sure there were definitely methods and ways that you could go about meeting another gentleman and mm-hmm. do so covertly. Um, but yeah, there's, there is a huge element to risk because the saddest part about the story is I think even if Artemis was being abused by this man and wanted to run the risk of, you know, fleeing town and going to the police and reporting it, I don't think he would see help from the police and i also think he would probably face a a similar fate from the police at this Mm -hmm. time in this area um it's just a tragic sad story if that was the story you know to me it seems like this guy didn't care he was just like get me out of here i don't care about this person anymore Mm -hmm. i have a life that i need to get back to and yeah (sighs) and just wants to cut off yeah, it's it's horrible. There is another theory that comes out. Should I go into it? Yeah. So, okay, this is the third theory that's listed here. So the third theory comes from many sensational articles published in the following years and suggested Ogletree was killed for being unfaithful to his fiance. This one I have not heard. This is interesting. Okay, let's see. So the announcement in the journal post uh, that Ogletree would be buried in a potter's field, the announcement that appeared to prompt an anonymous caller to fund Ogletree's funeral. Oh, so this probably ties back into the Louise character. Mm-hmm. So according to a sensational article, they keep caveat, they give a caveat that this is a sensationalized article, published in the Newcastle Sun um, called Mystery Murder in Room 1046, the sequence of events went a little differently. So the article states that a woman called the local paper to say, in quotes, um, you have a story in your paper that's wrong. Roland Owen um, will not be buried in a pauper's grave. Arrangements have been made for his funeral. When asked to identify herself and what actually happened to the man, still known as Owen at the time, she replied, never mind. I know what I'm talking about. He got into a jam before hanging up the phone. At the same time, a man called the funeral parlor where Owen was being held and said, don't bury Owen in a pauper's grave. I want to bury him in Memorial Park Cemetery. Then he will be near his sister. So this is the anonymous person who called. Um, I'll send funds to cover the funeral expenses. So this is the first like written down inclination that we have. There was a man and a woman who both anonymously called this funeral home. So the man apparently explained that Owen uh, had jilted. Is that how you say that? No, j- jittled <laughs> i don't know what this word is had uh jittled a girl he was engaged to so i'm assuming that means was unfaithful too <laughs> i think it's jilted <laughs> is it jilted <laughs> i i think it would be j- jilted <laughs> it's jilted okay <laughs> i think jittled. i think you're right <laughs> J- 
I I don't know what that is, but that <laughs> I think I've been jittled before. <laughs> I don't think it's. <laughs> oh, I hope you do. You just wrote some merch. I think I've been jittled before, and I don't think it's that. <laughs> That's going straight on a t-shirt. Um, so <laughs> you said jilted. Is that what you said? I think jilted. Jilted. Okay. It's not. How I've it's never spelled. heard. I've, I've I've heard that word before though. Like, um, like I was almost thinking like launched, like jilted, but I don't know why I'm thinking that. Maybe this jilted. is a typo because it's spelled like jittled. It's spelled like jittled. It has to be a typo in this research. Jittled. Okay. <laughs> but I think it is jilted. I think you're right. Um, so he j- uh, jilted a girl he was engaged to, and that in room 1046, Owen, the man. And the jilted girl had a little meeting, whatever that means, um, before hanging up. He said, cheaters usually get what's coming to them. Shortly after, the Rock Floral Company received a call asking for 13 American Beauty roses sent to the Roland T. Owen funeral. And a voice added, I'm doing this for my sister. What? I'm lost. Huh? Wait, wait, wait. I know. I'm confused. So... There's a woman he's engaged to, and that in room 10, 1046. Oh, okay, 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 gotcha. So this is the anonymous man who called the funeral home, and he's telling this story to the, the people at the funeral home. He's saying that okay. they were in room 1046, and that Owen um, and this girl had a meeting. And then before he hangs up to the funeral home, this guy who's telling the story, he says on the phone to the funeral home, this is after Owen's dead, he goes, cheaters usually get what's coming to them. Shortly after, that's when the floral arrangement comes. Interesting. And the voice adds, I'm doing this for my sister. Oh, okay, okay. I understand now. So this is suggesting that Owen was engaged to this woman, but she he had cheated on her with someone. So this Don character maybe, or not this this Don character is a hired hit is what this is suggesting. That doesn't make sense to me though, because it seemed like Owen knew this guy personally unless it, this is suggesting that the don character is the brother of uh, this potential fiance so yeah. like they're all traveling together but then she goes to her brother and she says he cheated on me and he goes well i'm gonna kill him i'm gonna kill him maybe we also, I mean, to that note, I mean, this commercial woman, that's only based on, like, witness testimony. Nobody knows if she was actually a sex worker. She's just a woman who was voluptuous and in a sexy coat. I also think, wouldn't his mom be able to corroborate if he was engaged to someone? Well, maybe it happened on the road because he had been gone for a year at this point. He left at 17. Oh, right. And he had just been, like, kind of a, a nomad, like, drifting around the country. So maybe, like, some time had passed. He meets, I don't know, another woman who's, like a woman of the open road in the thirties and they get engaged Bonnie and Clyde style betrothed. But also like if they're all drifters, like they're just kind of moving together, right. With the brother. It's very, um, I'm imagining (laughs) this is not the right dynamic, but I'm imagining Miss Hannigan and rooster and rooster's girlfriend. Like, Oh my God. Yes. That kind of, yeah. I kind of get that vibe too. Or like, from um, city to city, easy street people. Yeah, like very like Bonnie and Clyde sort of situation, but not. Um, what an iconic yeah. moment in Annie, that like easy street <sighs> number with Tim Curry, easy Bernadette street. Peters, and uh, not Carol Channing, Carol Burnett. Kristen. Kristen. 
I thought, wait, 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 what am I thinking of? Carol Burnett, yeah. Yeah, Kristen Carol Burnett. Chenoweth was in the remake as Lily. Oh, was she? Oh, really? I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe like, yeah, like the live version or something? Or was it the remake remake? No, it was the remake, like, that was um in the 2000s, like, when you and I were little. And it was um, oh, that's incredible. Kristen Chenoweth, Alan Cumming, and... Um, <gasps> was it Kathy that Bates? Was again. Kathy Bates, yeah. Kathy Bates? Okay, now I know I think it was Kathy about. Bates, yeah. Yeah. Um, funny story about that. Carol Burnett actually went on for an interview like many years later. So they had shot Easy Street, that number for the movie, Annie. This was like in the 70s. Or no, I think it was 1980 when they shot it. They had wrapped shooting. Carol Burnett went out and got a chin implant because she was like, okay, we're done with that movie. I've always wanted a strong chin. She got a chin implant and then they were like, oh, we have to do a reshoot for this number. It didn't come out the way producers were envisioning. <laughs> She's like, if you go back, she was like, I look drastically different in that number from the rest of the movie because I have a chin implant. That's so funny. I'm going it's... to immediately look that up. <laughs> I did too. I was like, really? But if you go back for the rest of the movie, you're like, damn, you're right. <laughs> Never noticed. That's and Bernadette. So funny. Bernadette's in that. I think that was one of her first movies, Miss Bernadette Peters. Oh my God. If it's too late, <laughs> that's love. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it. I needed it. Come on. Come on. What? I'm like, what are the, what are the rest of the lyrics? Um, That's where we're gonna bound. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I can't wait to go look at the analytics of this episode and see how many people drop off for this moment. <laughs> drop off. <laughs> Just like... drop right off. <laughs> we should do a warning. <laughs> but that is the crew I'm imagining. I'm imagining this like drifters 1930s 40s drifter type people who were kind of traveling yeah. together owen's in this relationship with this girl and the, the brother's traveling with them and yeah maybe he's like a young kid he's unfaithful and then the brother the brother beats him because if we lean into this theory that also ties into that random witness account which doesn't really show roland t owen as a submissive person if he was the one who left that hotel and got in that guy's car to go to the cab station and he was bleeding and he was like i'm gonna kill him i'm gonna kill him Meaning that there were already fights that were going on. Yeah. I don't know. <sighs> I wish the mother had given more information about her son, like who he was growing up, because I feel like that would right. greatly, that would give so much context to like greatly impact this story so we could piece together who he was and why he was even on the road in the first. But that must have been a conversation. Exactly. He must exactly. have talked to his That's, mother like, I'm why I'm so curious. Home. It's, yeah, it's just so devastating to think that like, we really don't know much of his story beyond this story. She did confirm. I think she spotted him from the photos immediately. She recognized it as her son because I think either the cauliflower ear or the scar above his ear, it wasn't from like being hit. Um, it was from an oil spill when he was a kid. Like he got oil oh. spilt on his head. Yeah. And it, it like burned a permanent scar around his ear. Wow. Yeah. So we don't think it was from like being in physical altercations over and over again. Well, I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. I think maybe I. It's possible it, it could have been misprinted. That maybe like because he has two scars. He has the cauliflower ear, and he also has like a scar on his scalp that's right above the mm -hmm. ear. I think the scar on the scalp, like where no hair grows, is where the oil spilled. But maybe the cauliflower ear is from being abused by this Don guy. Yeah. But oh. that's everything we know about the eerie eerie story of room 1046 i think we did a pretty darn good job of coming up with a legitimate theory 
I feel pretty proud of that. I the only thing that still doesn't make sense to me um, is really this like catatonic state that he was in at all hours of the day, sitting in the dark, just waiting, just waiting for dawn to arrive, even when people walked in. But also, what's the most devastating part about this is if this all is all true that Don was was a lover and was abusive and ended up killing him. Owen really took that secret with him to the grave. He covered for mm-hmm. him, probably out of love for or protection to the bitter end. Or shame, or shame. It, yeah, it could have been like, sh- yeah. I, I don't want to oh die gosh. having people know, like, who the I was, what mine. I was. Yeah. yeah. And here we are. <laughs> Outing Tell, him. Telling, telling the entire story. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's important a story like this, I feel like, sees some kind of closure one day. I don't know if we're ever going to know definitively. Um there has to be additional evidence that they could find from this case now, even if they exhume the body. Maybe. I don't know. I know. Think about like how quickly it would have been solved in later oh, years. You could, I mean, it's just such a shame. Things like this don't go down in hotels anymore without camera footage, without six, 65 different witnesses who are like popping out of the room. Like different time. Yeah. I guess like, Hotels in the 30s, maybe maybe specifically this hotel, um, just a very different experience. I have to look up right now. Yeah. I've got to see whether or not – I want to make sure the hotel um, president is one you can still go to, and I want to see if room 1046 is still available. Hotel president, okay. Also... Oh, wait. Is this it? Hold on. Wait, say what you were going to say. I'm going to look this up. Well, I was going to say that um, it's also such a shame that – the elevator operator like couldn't give us more, but I figure that a, worthless. a hotel worthless. of like yeah, worthless. <laughs> like, but I also think like a hotel of that standing, like a really nice hotel back then, mm-hmm. there was like a certain level of like discretion that you had to maintain, like as the elevator Probably. operator. You know what I mean? I'm sure there were a lot of uh, w- women, commercial women, coming in and out of mm-hmm. that hotel. Yeah, maybe um, it wasn't an odd sight, but maybe he had seen enough yeah. that he could spot, you know, who was and who wasn't. But they're right. all very nosy. I mean, if you think about, like, what the maid was doing, she's eavesdropping on calls. She's, like, going yeah. in and out of that room. Like, she's she's got a, a watchful eye and, like, an open ear. Um, right. I am looking at this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to message it to you right now. Um, oh, yeah. Let me see. That lobby gives me bad vibes. I really don't dig it. Let me see. Um, they've definitely renovated all of the rooms now. They look like Hilton's, <laughs> like Hilton rooms. Um, but I... 1920s charm in Kansas, in Kansas's power and light district. Recognized by historic hotels in America, our building has stood in downtown Kansas City's power and light district since 1926. We are surrounded by theaters and restaurants two blocks um, from the Sprint Center events and Kansas City Convention Center. Enjoy our authentic 20-style hangouts. (laughs) Oh, my God. Something about Hilton's stuff always goes down. Like here in D.C., the famous Hilton that is where Reagan was. Oh, I didn't even realize it. It is owned by Hilton. I just said that. I was like, it kind of looks like a Hilton now. I'm looking at the top. It is owned by Hilton. (laughs) Yeah, it's owned by Hilton. (laughs) Damn. But I wonder. Okay, I'm gonna. We should. I'm gonna Google um, like hotel president photos from the 1930s. I want to do that too now. Okay, Kansas City. Hotel president. Um, I wonder if they do have old pictures of it. I don't think it looked. It was. 
it was like called a very grand hotel, but from like old pictures that I remember seeing of it, I don't remember it looking as pretty. Do you think they still have after Hilton bought it? Do you think they still kept up like room ten forty six, or do you think they like rechanged room numbers? I, if they were smart, they would keep it. Ew! Oh no! I think I have a picture of the room. I think I do too. Oh, is it like, like cr- very like cat bare bones? Bare bones and like the bed's kind of like catty corner. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Oh, oh gosh, this room time. is extremely creepy. It's got very, very bad energy. Well, what's crazy, and now that I'm looking at um pictures of it, I'm looking at uh, articles that came out. I remember when I first did research on this. So when the story broke, because like nobody had come forward, and they the Don character was kind of mentioned but never seen a lot of people took this like paranormal route with this. They were like, something is like very off with the story because this is a guy who's in this catatonic, like trance like state checks into a hotel with nothing. Nobody knows who he is. There's no record of him. And then he dies in this horrific way, but nobody ever saw this character. He talked about this Don. So people were really freaked out by the story and thought it was like the ghost of room 1046. Very bad for business. I wonder if um, American Horror Story Hotel, if they had any component, like any inspiration from this. I can't can't remember some of the plot lines on that because I didn't watch the whole thing. But I feel like there was some sort of, there was something similar. Probably. I mean, this is a, there's a conglomeration of like a lot of horrible things happen in hotels. This one is particularly eerie. I've always found this story to be unsettling, especially like, I think it's the visual of Roland T. Owen. Do you see what he looks like? You should look up a picture of him as well. He it's almost looks kind of like, like his he, his face kind of looks a little like off. Oh, yeah. Well, in one of the pictures, the drawings of him that was printed in papers, that's a post-mortem drawing. So that was him uh, just used to identify him after he had died. But, oh, wow. Oh, wow. I think I have an actual picture of his body. That's so wild. Send Ooh. it to me. <laughs> I plan to. Hold on. But again, another case unsolved in a county, mostly run by county police. Not mm-hmm. looking good. County police zero. Creep time. What is it? Ten. <laughs> Well, they kind of did him dirty on this police sketch because he was actually much more handsome <laughs> than the sketch yeah. they ended up putting out. It, well, he looks a lot older in this police sketch. So I had always yeah. assumed that um, he was like an older man who was like in his 30s maybe. But yeah, he's a, he's a kid. He's like 17, 18. It's still freaky though. There's something about like this this one picture of him. It, it's got to be like the only like portrait of him from when he was younger. Um I just, I just don't like it. I get bad, bad vibes from it. Oh, my God. The body. Ew. Oh, God. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Freaky. And you can tell that's him because of his eyebrows. They're very distinct. They're, like, straight, like, like uh, really, um, there's, like, no arch. Well, yeah, there's, yeah, like, yeah. no arch. It's just, like, a drawn line up. You're right. You're right. Oh, freaky. Well, I'm happy we got to cover this case, though, to talk about the story, because I've wanted to for such a long time. Yeah. But 
this this feels like one of the freakier ones we've covered. I I get chills when I tell it still, and I've I've talked about it endlessly for years. I am still very freaked that you got a call when you said on when you said I the had phone almost blocked rang. that out. I had almost blocked that out. Wow, that was scary from an unknown number, Stu. Oh my gosh! What the? Because like if there were if there was anybody that I feel like that we've discussed like a victim that would have come back to haunt us. Mm-hmm. This could be the one. There's a lot of unfinished business with this case. I mean, I'm I'm certain we should have a guest on the podcast who's like a medium who can do like a conjuring with us. Yes, I would love that. <laughs> Let's just like actually resurrect spirit for sure. But yeah, I'm happy we covered it. I feel like we did a pretty dang good job of like trying to crack through some of this case. I think we yeah we've got a salad a, a salad. <laughs> you can tell I'm hungry. <laughs> I was like, we've got a steak and oh. <laughs> well, I, I got a hankering for a little jittle of a salad. A jittle. Know. You're not gonna jittle. let me live that down. What? I won't. That's how it was spelled. I was like, jittle. Maybe I should look it up to see if that is an actual word and maybe it's like an old word. Yeah, maybe jittle. it is. Because I, I feel like I'm confusing jilted with jolted. <laughs> I clearly I'm tired because I said it sounds like a launch. I'm thinking of jolted. No, I think jilted is a word. I think you're right. Because to jilt is to suddenly reject or like abandon something. Um, okay. Yeah. It de- okay. Abandon oh, a okay. lover is usually the context. So it definitely meant jilted. It was just a typo. And I was like, jittled. Interesting. Oh, my God. So like the first form of ghosting. <laughs> yes. It was early ghosting. <laughs> he, he jilted me. Darling, I'm going to jilt him later. I've been jilted oh. bad, dear. Many a time oh before. My gosh. And I'm over here. I'm like, hmm. Jittled. You he, were like, he jittled well, my I got jittled last night. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, my bits were jittled, I tell you. <laughs> J- it's, okay, maybe it's, it's spelt with a G. Ugh, what is it? What is it? No, jitt- jittled is not a word. I have to let it go. I'm trying to make it a word, and it's just not. It is now. It is now. <laughs> Dang. Well, we did a full episode. We didn't cut to a part two, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. This has been a killer um, Creep Time episode. We have covered 1046. We will cover another case next week. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to watch and support Creep Time, I'm going to cover this on YouTube as well. And I'll probably do the case again for the TikTok anniversary, which is going to be October 14th. Woo! Oh, my gosh. Woo-hoo. That's when I, I delete my account. Sometimes I think about that. I have intrusive thoughts where I'm like in my settings and I'm like, what if I just end it all? And just delete no. Oh my I just, gosh, it's creep, like, it's like when you're like by a ledge and you're like, <laughs> maybe I'll jump. Like, yeah. No, no, no. You couldn't. You could never. We I love couldn't. your content too much and your creepers love your content too much. Well, I appreciate it. I love, I love creepers. I mean, shout out to everybody, all the creepers who requested this case. I'm happy I got to do it again. Um, And I hope you enjoyed it. We will catch you next week on another Creep Time. But for now, stay listening. Bye. Bye.